And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll finish up our look at potential buy-low players and discuss the risk of reaching in drafts. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three co-crews yet. It works great in a fantasy I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15. On The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, October 16th. I'm Al Melchior, and I am here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. We've done a couple episodes talking about buy-low players. They've been exclusively hitters. I think we should talk about pitchers. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. I didn't I didn't find as many. I don't know what that says. Um, maybe that says something about my search criteria. Maybe it says something about pitchers. I don't know. Uh, but we'll talk about a handful of pitchers who uh, definitely seem to have some buy low potential. So let's let's start with Frankie Montas. Uh, and among the the few pitchers that we will discuss here, I think I like his potential the best in terms of returning value because uh, when you break down more granularly what he did in 2020, he wasn't really that different than he was in 2019. Uh, unfortunately, the ERA gives you a different impression. Yeah, I, I think the thing that concerns me, though, the most is some things that Nick Pollock has said over the years about split fingers and, and how you can really lose the feel for that pitch for a prolonged stretch and when it's an important pitch for you and you don't have a lot of other good stuff to rely on or you don't have a deep enough arsenal to work without that pitch, you run into some trouble. And that was the one thing that I thought was different for Montas. He was great with that pitch in 2019. Uh, threw it about 18% of the time. Opponents hit 160 against it and slugged 272. Got plenty of whiffs. Uh, this year, you know, he's still getting whiffs, but he was just getting hit more often. So maybe it's a small sample command-related issue he did kind of ease back on the use of the split finger with it not working uh, but otherwise I mean the slider the four seamer uh, the sinking fastball that he kind of throws in there too like the velo was all good it wasn't like way off where he was last year because he had a little bit of room like as a premium velocity guy he could lose a tick and still be sitting at 95 with that pitch so there's stuff to like I just want to see what the price is because I liked him a lot going into this season. I thought with three pitches, he was going to be a legitimate ace who was underpriced going into 2020. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we'll see uh, how that uh, pans out for 2021. Um, Patrick Corbin is somebody that we've discussed quite a bit. Um, so we may reiterate some of the points that we've made on about him on the pa- in the past uh, in terms of, you know, reduced velo, fewer, fewer whiffs, but... Uh, you know, also age working against him, maybe a little bit more. Um, but, uh, you know, what what are your thoughts on Corbin? Do you think that there's going to be, do you expect there'll be an overreaction? Uh, are you planning to stay away from Corbin? It's interesting. Corbin and Montas are going around the same time in the two early mocks. They're in that 110, 120 range. I think Corbin's going a little bit earlier, but 
same tier at least. And my concerns with Corbin are really that he relies so heavily on two pitches. I don't know what happens when you have two pitches and you lose as much fastball velocity as Corbin has lost. He's down almost two miles per hour from where he was in 2019. We've seen this before. I'm just legitimately worried that he can't slider his way to a three ERA and a good whip anymore. Like the strikeouts might be there, but the ratios might be a lot more volatile than we're used to. Uh, so I, I think there's a reasonable discount, but I'm still not there on Corbin. And, and I think this is, I think I've compared him to Rich Hill before, a younger version of Rich Hill. Like you don't necessarily need more than two pitches to get by and, and be really effective, but uh, I think you are looking at a guy that has a little extra injury risk. He had Tommy John a few years ago. Uh, so I'm leaning towards being out on Corbin, especially because Nationals Park is a lot more hitter-friendly than people have, have realized. In the last couple seasons, the ball's really traveled there. So I think home runs could be a problem for Corbin uh, year over year as well. And that's going to be another source of, of trouble as it pertains to his ratios. Yeah, especially the uh, softer he throws, the more bats he's connecting with that that certainly becomes a bigger risk with that home park and uh you know speaking of park factors working against somebody mass and bumgarner uh you know with the move from uh oracle park uh to arizona you know not you know not the most extreme move um in terms of a park to go to but you know leaving a park that maybe gave bumgarner uh you know better stats than um you know his skills would have indicated uh he should have in most venues and, uh, you know, this year there's, there's really not a lot of ways to put a good face on, um, on his performance. I mean, for one thing, he missed uh, a large chunk of what was already a short season with the back strain. Uh, he had a, a three mile an hour drop in fastball velocity. Uh, but he did finish, uh, on a stronger note. I think if there's any way that you can spin this positively. He had uh, he finished up with starts against the Astros and Rockies, uh, didn't allow a run over ten innings. Uh, good strikeout to walk ratio, eleven to one, um, and the velocity did rebound slightly there. So, is there maybe a chance with maybe people being so down on Madison Bumgarner that there's some rebound and value potential there? I think that's possible. I think it's really going to be more of how you go into 2021 with your expectations for him. If you think in a mixed league, you're going to draft Bumgarner and just leave him in your lineup more often than not, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if you carefully use him for starts at home and then the favorable road matchups or more pitcher-friendly environments he goes into on the road, I think you can kind of walk that tightrope and get slightly better than average ratios in those instances. But I do feel like he's lost quite a bit of stuff at this point. Uh, I'm not expecting a full bounce back. I'm not expecting him to age gracefully the way that a lot of other aces from the last few years have in big part because he doesn't have the same velocity. Like I realize he's tall and has good extension, so his velocity plays up a little bit. But we're talking about a guy that might be living in the 88 to 90 range kind of indefinitely going forward. And I just don't know if he has nasty enough secondary pitches to consistently pile up strikeouts and and keep opposing hitters off balance. So I can't say that I won't have him anywhere, but I've just completely changed my expectations for Bumgarner just based on where he's at at this stage of his career. What's the scenario where you could imagine that you would roster him? Uh, is, is it as a late round flyer and a 12 teamer? Um, would you, you know, reach a little higher than that? Probably 15 team mixed leagues. Um, we're looking at, you know, after round 20, I mean, probably even like the last few rounds. And even then, 
a lot of times you're just looking for more of a spark on what could go right sort of player. So it kind of depends on your roster build uh, if you're going to take that chance. But I think of him kind of the way I thought of maybe John Lester coming into uh, 2020. And, and that's um, unfortunately just not a compliment. <laughs> no. Uh, and his uh, ADP in the Mason mocks is uh, an even 300. So that, you know, that really would kind of take him out of the conversation for a 12 teamer, uh, you know, maybe somebody that you put on the watch list and, um, you know, you're ready to pounce if he gets off to a good start. And again, I mean, this is, that's preliminary. I mean, we'll see where his real ADP is, uh, you know, several months from now. Uh, now, Matt Boyd, we've, uh, you know, visited on him on and off the season. Uh, as I recall, DVR, you and I have a little bit of a difference in opinion or, you know, difference of um, a preference uh, for, for Matthew Boyd. Uh, but, you know, taking a little bit of a, a deeper look at him with the season now completed, you know, I do wonder if there's some some bounce back potential there because some of the drop off in strikeouts that we saw from him really had to do with pitch mix. He wasn't throwing the slider as much. Um, now the fastball wasn't as effective, so that's something that maybe casts a little bit of doubt on how he'll perform next year. I think home runs are going to be an issue no matter what, but certainly uh, if he misses more bats, that's that helps everything. So, uh, do you see any reason for uh, for optimism here? I mean, I think you you see a couple of good whips in 2018 and 2019, and you wonder how he hasn't put together a season with a high threes ERA to go along with that. Uh, but the home runs are a major issue, even though he can miss a ton of bats. I I don't know what the deal is. Like what what changed from 19 to 20 with him? I think that's a fair question to ask. I, I've never liked him quite as much as everybody else has, so I'm beginning to worry he kind of falls into this sort of like Chris Archer bucket where we see all these interesting parts. And even in the case of Archer, at least he delivered earlier in his career to the point where it made sense to buy into him as a legitimately like good like SP2 type. With Boyd, I mean, the price has always been cheaper, but I just don't see it. I, I don't see what everybody else sees in him. And I, I don't know if it's because he's likable and <laughs> if that's why people chase him where they do, but the cost is going to be similar to previous years, right? Pick 250, pick 300, something in that range. Uh, I would say the difference between him and Bumgarner is that at least you feel pretty good about the strikeouts you're going to get. So I'd be a little more inclined to have Boyd than Bumgarner, but I would probably look at him as another guy that you're not just setting in your lineup and leaving in all the time. Yeah, and I think that's probably true of of everybody uh, that we've talked about so far um, and certainly would be true for Robbie Ray. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm actually surprised that he's had as much interest in these uh Early mocks, the uh, the Mason mocks as he's had uh, 284 ADP, uh, you know, which again really at best puts him on the fringes of 12 teamers, but that's that's better than I would have expected given his results. So I don't know if that's people hoping for a rebound or maybe some folks noticing that when he went to Toronto, even though the the results weren't great, the peripherals improved dramatically. Um, small sample, so I don't know how much stock you put into that anyway. Uh, but uh, do you see Robbie Ray as somebody that's viable late in a 12-teamer? I think he's kind of like Boyd-esque with the ratios concerns and the home run problems, and he adds a higher walk rate. So you know, you're going to pay even more of a penalty potentially in those ratios to get to the extra strikeouts that you might get. I'm probably just out on Robbie Ray. I think he's tried to tinker a few times and just hasn't been able to get anything close to the level we saw Back in 2017, it looks like a clear aberration to me at this point. So another guy that 
I'm probably going to sidestep at the price. Maybe we'll try to stream in leagues where he's available, but I don't know if I'll have him on any teams permanently next season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, DVR, I think that will wrap up our discussion of buy-low candidates. Um, I want to finish up here because I've, I've talked in uh, bits and pieces about my um, my Mason mock, my early mock, including in our <laughs> rundown of some of these buy-low candidates. But I want to take a kind of a, a higher elevation view of my draft, which is almost complete now. I've got one more pick to make in the regular rounds, and then we've got six reserve rounds. So I have a pretty good uh, picture of what the roster is as a whole. But the one thing that I've, I've noticed is that I reached a lot in this, uh, this mock draft. And some of that is just because I didn't reference ADPs. And that's a, that's a luxury I actually had because of the nine too early mocks. This was the last one run. So we were actually behind the other, the other leagues. And I could have referenced ADP, uh, and, and had some indication of whether or not I could have held off, uh, a couple of rounds on certain players. So. Uh, that aside, do you have a particular approach to reaching for players? Is it something you, t- you would do late in a draft? Is it something you try not to do at all? Is it something you don't think is a problem? Where, where do you stand on that? I think reaching for players probably depends on categorical needs and, you know, uh, positional shapes. We've talked about second base being a position that tails off quickly. And then it also hinges on where you're at in the draft order too. You are in the 15th position, right? So, you know, yes. Being on the wheel, I feel like you have to reach a little bit more there in some instances because you're looking at such a long break between your two picks. Like 28 players are going to be selected before it comes back to you. Uh, and I, I think with that, you know, you probably have to push against whatever ADP is, whether it's early ADP or we're talking about what's happening closer to opening day in March. You're going to have to be willing to go 10, 15, 20 picks earlier than previous average ADP. And that's okay. I I think it's just kind of a loose guide of what the market is likely to do. I think as we know, things change month by month as more information and more research uh, kind of takes shape. And I I wouldn't sweat it at all. I mean, I I think as long as you ended up with guys that you feel are reasonably close to where they're going to go, I think you did fine. Uh, I I appreciate that. And we're not playing this out. So there's, there's no real stakes. It's just kind of looking at, you know, the result and the process and seeing what I can learn from that, you know, for when the drafts do happen for real. Uh, and, you know, in reference to, um, you know, the, the shapes of positions there, there's one thing that I think maybe I learned from this, for you know, making that those two turns on the wheel um, that uh, with the, my second round pick, 
I took Francisco Lindor. So I took Freddie Freeman with the 15th pick, Lindor with the 16th. And again, could have been flipped, doesn't really matter. But I do wonder if I should have waited on shortstop because of the depth and maybe taken Bryce Harper, who went a few spots after that, because then I wound up having to reach just a little bit for um, Nick Castellanos uh, a few rounds later as my number one outfielder. And so I wound up with the combo of Lindor and Castellanos when I could have had Bryce Harper and Javi Baez, who was available when I took Castellanos. So which which coupling would you actually rather have? I think they're pretty even. I may Maybe the the second option, maybe the Harper-Baez is a little better. I, I, I think you're splitting hairs, though. I mean, I think the difference might be that you're getting production that's a little more balanced in that second pairing, whereas with Lindor and Castellanos, like Castellanos isn't going to steal any bases, and you know that's the that's the one thing you worry about is having maybe too many bags coming from too few players, and you lose one to injury, and suddenly you're hurting in that category. But I think that's pretty much an even toss-up 50-50. I'm not sure there's a, a clear-cut wrong answer based on what we know about those players at this point. All right. Well, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, in, you know, in regard to the steals, I wound up taking Dylan Moore um, a little bit earlier than I would have liked to, uh, to try to secure some steals. And I'm not at all, uh, you know, convinced what sort of role or what sort of performance he's going to have in 2021. So, uh, you know, lots of months to, uh, to ponder that. And on that note, DVR, this is going to be our last fantasy baseball in 15 for a while. Um, so we're going to shift into off season mode, even though there's a little postseason left. Uh, so I just want to thank you for uh, all the uh, great shows and the great work this season and, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, to returning in the off season. Yeah, thank you, Al. I mean, you put the rundown together every day and lead host the show every day. It's a ton of work to put all that together. And, you know, we appreciate everything you do. And for everybody out there, we'll, we'll have a handful of off-season episodes in November and December just to kind of update a few big things. But we'll kind of get back to a more regular schedule uh, in January with the hope of getting back to our five-day-a-week plan uh, in the first week of February. All right. So, uh, yeah, just look for those uh, episodes. Uh, they'll be here before you know it. Uh, but that's going to be all for this episode and for, um, you know, this year's uh, in-season slash post-season coverage. Um, if you are listening to us on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we always do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker, And, yeah, we'll be back here later in the off-season. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 